You're listening to Felony Podcast with your host, Dave Dahl, on the Startup Radio Network. The Felony Podcast explores ex-felons that have gone on to launch their own startups. We explore the ups, the downs, the behind-the-bar stories with these founders. Felony Podcast airs every Friday morning at 10 a.m. Pacific Time. My name is Mark Grimes, co-founder of Startup Radio Network. Also with us in the studio, Dave's partner in crime, Lad Justison. And here's a man with a plan, leader of the band, buff and tanned, Dave, the killer bread man, doll. Thanks, Big Bob Miller. Uh, Whoever wrote that is a genius, lad. That's what I'm thinking. Buff and tan, baby. Yeah. Welcome to the Felony Inc. podcast, coming to you live from Portland, Oregon. We share stories that show again and again that there is light at the end of the tunnel that happiness and success are a state of mind, not the result of material gain or fame. Don't get me wrong, I like making money, but it's really learning to rock the journey with all of its ups and downs that I call success. Our best guests on Felony Inc. have discovered the amazing power of accountability and have converted adversity to wisdom and a success mindset. Most of our guests have been convicted of felonies and are now honest, hardworking entrepreneurs. Owning up for my past mistakes and being willing to work harder than anyone else have been my, they've been essential for my own pri- uh, triumphs. <laughs> if you're not passionate and willing to work hard, you might as well have winning the lottery as your life plan. That's how good your odds are. Positive change isn't easy, lad. Transformation is a... MFR. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm Dave Dahl, creator and co-founder of Dave's Killer Bread, and as usual, my co-host is the, you know, the beautiful Lad Justison, who's been a thorn in my side since 1998, when we met on on the yard at Snake River. Remember that? I do remember that, Dave, and uh, probably one of the most regrettable days of my life. Mm-hmm. Um, I've Can had you pull up. I've had some nightmares over that meeting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so, so hey, you know what? Check it out. We had a really cool night last night. Yeah. We had the famous Curtis Silgato mm-hmm. in our little studio. Just an amazing blues uh, R&B musician, uh, well-known in Portland and beyond. That's right, because we are going to be at Dave's favorite place in Portland, Darcell's. We're going to be playing Anybody who doesn't know where Darcells or who Darcells is, you know, who Darcell is, well, that's a drag queen uh, establishment and uh, as one of Lad's actual, actually Lad uh, is invested in it, I believe. That's right. It's true. But we're going to be down there for um, a really good cause and uh, we're going to be playing with the famous Curtis Salgado. We had our first practice last night. Um, Dave, I got to tell you, it was amazing. You guys playing off each other. Mm. Um, he plays blues harp, and you play guitar. And of course, it was just sounding great. And before we go any further, I'd just like to welcome Dave back. He's had some back problems, and now he's back in the studio. Mm. Welcome back to the show, Dave. Thanks, son. Yeah, you, you know what? I was shocked at how well you guys did in my absence. I don't even know why I should have come back. <laughs> it, was, it was good. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm proud of you, son. Well, thank you, sir. And I'm I proud of you, it. son. Does that mean I get a raise? No. Yeah, well, yeah, you get uh, what, uh, a penny an hour. Penny an hour. <laughs> that would be, yeah, that nice. would be a, that would be a significant raise. Um, today's guest, today's guest is Kevin Rainey of Corp Car, based in Dallas, based in Dallas, Fort Worth. Corp Car offers an elite group of executive chauffeurs, providing personalized support for discerning travelers wanting more than a driver. From LA to New York City, Dallas to DC, Corp Car offers the business class lounge, the business class lounge of ground transformation. <laughs> Transportation. Transportation there, homie. Uh, We're going somewhere. All right. Kevin Rainey is a former felon entrepreneur and comes to Felony Inc. by way of Brian Kelly, a former guest on our program and CEO of Prison Entrepreneurship Program, also known as PEP. Welcome to the show, Kevin Rainer. How you doing, man? 
Hey, how's it going, Dave? Doing Glad pretty good. Here. Yeah. Hey, right it's, it's Kevin Kevin Rainey, not Rainey. Oh well, it says Rainer. It says Rainer on my uh, on my sheet. So I remember it was Rainey. Now that you mention it, uh, so I'm going to blame Lad for that. I'll take the blame. That's uh, right. I, I always blame my team, too. Yeah, yeah. That's, all, that's how an entrepreneur works, man. Blame everybody. And <laughs> excuses and blame, that's, what's, that's what get us everywhere. That's what I found exactly. out. <laughs> Absolutely. Non-ownership. Non, non that's how I roll. Yeah, no accountability for this guy. That's yeah, right. I, uh, I think uh, just the opposite is true for everything we just said, right? Um, Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so... Um, I think what we would like to do, and we don't know a doggone thing about your past, um, we will start where you want to start. Uh, tell us a little bit about, you know, some highlights of your of your life that led to you being where you're at now. Yeah, so I guess we can start with that uh, that that ownership piece. Uh, you know, taking re responsibility for for your actions. Um, you know, for. The first 38 years of my life, uh, you know, I, I blamed all of my, my downfalls and my shortcomings uh, basically on my parents. You know, they were the uh, <laughs> they were the, the the dream squashers, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And uh, um, I used that as an excuse to uh, continue to run my life into the ground. But, did they hate on you? Did they kind of just keep you down and like, tell you you were limited, uh, you weren't? going to do anything how did they just not teach you the things that you need to learn to be uh, the kind of person you want to be yeah so i, I remember at a, you know i was probably eight eight or ten years old something like that playing uh, playing football in the front yard and I was telling my my stepdad that i you know i'm gonna i want to be like oj back when oj before he started killing yeah. people uh <laughs> lad wants to so, be like oj now but yeah, well, you know i'd like to kill you dave anyway Quit, it, quit, quit distracting as, us. Okay, sorry. As a, as a youth playing football, you know, you had your, your idols that you looked up to, and at the time, uh, OJ was mine. <laughs> yeah. um, I liked him, too. We all did. Yeah, I always wanted to be like OJ until, uh, you know, until <laughs> he was a murderer. But yeah. anyway, uh, so my I remember my stepdad kind of kneeling down to my level and said, you know, hey, uh, enjoy this while you while you can, because you'll never be good enough to to be OJ or or professional or college or something like that. And you know, mm -hmm. at ten years old, you just kind of accept that as truth, and uh, you just keep keep playing the game. But as you grow older, you realize that that uh, those sort of comments and statements are actually uh, embedded in your hard drive, yeah. and uh, subconsciously you you feel like. You're not good enough, you know. So, um, every, throughout my whole life, I've I've reached certain levels of success to where I would then self sabotage, because you know the subconscious is saying, "Hey, you're not good enough." And so, yeah, you know, for me, it was way beyond the subconscious. It was like, "Hey, dude, you're not good enough," and that was like my totally front brain telling me that. So, um, but it, I guess it started with the subconscious. It started a bit with being told that enough times, you know. But yeah, okay, go up, go on where you're at. And then a lot of times, like my dad, my dad would be like, "Yeah, I'm gonna come pick you guys up for me and my brother. I'm gonna come pick you guys up for the weekend." And then we would, you know, kind of be standing out on the curb waiting for him to show up, you know. And and a lot of times he never came, you know. And uh, so that was that, um, you know, gave me more of that. Well, I'm not worth my dad's time, you yeah. know. And um, you know, as I got older. Um, I just I just accepted that 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 I wasn't good enough, and you know I would always end up sabotaging my success. And uh, you know, of course, being able to blame uh, my parents for everything um, was was the easy way out. So, yeah, and so and so much giving up your power. Right. I mean, totally. So that that kind of gave me like, well, you know, it's their fault that I'm a loser, and so I'm just going to be the best loser that I can be. <laughs> Yeah. And the best drug dealer that I can be, the best, you know, um, you know, sketchy person that I could be. And so I really kind of embraced the, the sketchiness wholeheartedly. <laughs> yeah, well, that's uh, there's some similarities in, with me. You know, um, I didn't, wasn't born into a, a criminal family, but I because I hated my family so much, um, you know, somehow the 
kind of the opposite of my family started seeming attractive, the criminal element. <laughs> and I, I, I was like, I looked up to trailer trash, you know, like lad. <laughs> and I, I, that, that was what I aspired to be, was one of the top, top level trailer trash. That's right. He still looks up to me. <laughs> so uh, anyway, so you you became a drug dealer, and this is how old are you at this point when you're starting to run around and do crazy stuff? So so that actually before the drug, I've always had the entrepreneurial hustle spirit. I've always been that way from from early on. Like you know, first grade, second grade, third grade. I can remember going to the local, you know, Walgreens and and. Uh, stealing the the candy you know packs of gum and but mm. only stuff that you could break down into individual pieces you know <laughs> so it was like the bubble yum like a bag of you know, dope. Five, yeah. yeah 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 so you could break it down you know i was getting i was getting a working uh a pack of bubble yum you know so i could break it down and um just anything that you could break down into pieces and mm. and i would go to the local park and steal the cokes out of the coke machine and then the next day you know I'd, wrap everything up and take it to school and I would sell, sell it all individually, you know, so I was hustling at a very young age, but, um, you know, <laughs> I would take that money and on the uh, bus ride home, I would gamble it away wow. most of the times, you know, win or lose. So, I mean, at an early age, I had the addictive behaviors. I had the hustle. Um, I had the, you know, gambling, all of that stuff. And you were um, having fun though. What's that? You were having fun. I was having a great time, yeah. uh, great time, uh, until I got caught. In seventh grade, I got caught stealing uh, bubble yum from, from Walgreens. The bubble, so went, bubble gum caper, yeah. That's right, that's right. And um, so, yeah, the, uh, you know, get, uh, getting in trouble for my actions was, um, that happened early on, too. So, mm -hmm. okay. And then, like, seventh, eighth grade, that's, that, I started smoking pot pretty much every day, and I didn't want to have to pay for it. So, of course, I just rolled up enough, you know, weed to pay for the bag. And, you know, that, that went on for years. Yep, been there. Kevin, did you, did you uh, come from a, a poor family or was your family, uh, you know, modest? Medium class? Or? No, it, I mean, pretty much, pretty much middle class, you know. Um, my, my stepdad, had, he had a job where um, he was high up in the hotel business so we he kept getting a lot of promotions and we were we were, did a lot of moving around he got uh job transfers and stuff so i mean we lived in you know detroit we lived in chicago san francisco memphis um you know we were all over the map it seemed like every time i got a settled into a new set of friends um we had to move and so i i didn't like that that much mm -hmm. i was always kind of uh, nervous being the new kid on the block, so it was really hard for me to, to adjust. Yeah, and it's a good uh, point that guys like you and me and Lad, um, well, not not so much Lad. I think Lad kind of did come up poor. Uh, I wasn't super. I wasn't poor exactly. I had, to, but I had to work for every little bit I had because um, I worked for my dad in his barely surviving bakery. Um, but people think, well. You know, why do you, what's your excuse for being a criminal, you know? Um, well, there's, it's the same, it's the attitude. It's like, my God, I, this, my life sucks, and I'm going to make it different. Um, so it, there's a lot of reasons why people turn to the dark side. Uh, so anyway, at this point, what happens next? Um, yeah, so we so we moved around a lot, and that was like real tough on me. And it was a lot easier to fall into the uh, the group that was, you know, smoking pot or drinking or you know, because misery loves company, of course. And you know, they just want to let's get let's offer the new guy some some weed or some alcohol or whatever. And so I just accepted that it was a lot easier. You know, the jocks were kind of kind of dicks. You really had mm. to prove yourself with them. Um, but you know the other Jocks the other stoners. Group, the, the stoners and the burnouts. It was you know you just had to have long hair and a concert T-shirt and say mm -hmm. yeah I'll, I'll I'll hit that joint or take that acid or whatever it may be and so that was me you know that's just kind of uh, who is. I was. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, so uh, but you're not really getting in a lot of trouble yet. When when do you start? When does that start happening? Yeah, so in eleventh grade, I got busted in high school with uh, a couple ounces of couple ounces of weed and uh you know in front of the whole school got walked across the 
you know, the parking lot to the to the police station. And, uh, you know, I missed the, the Motley Crue concert because I was in jail. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I uh, got arrested that was in the paper and everything. And, um, you know, just that's that sort of thing continued for for years and got into a heavier, you know, use of weed and, um, you know, started using cocaine regularly. And that was that was it was all over after that. I, of course, I, I didn't want to um, pay for it. So I started selling it and, you know, started getting into that pretty heavily and became a cocaine addict for the next, you know, 20 years or so. So Coke was your drug of choice. Coke was my drug until I moved to Texas. Uh, and then I was, uh, introduced to a whole different variety of drugs that I was never even really heard of living in Michigan. So, so did um, you, what, did you get into math and stuff? Like, yeah, I did. I did. And not at first, but, um, yeah, I ended up getting into the, the crystal meth, uh, crowd. And, you know, then I just said, well, I'm going to be the best drug dealer that I can be. And I pretty much accepted that that was my life and that's who I was. And, you know, still continue to blame my parents for everything. So, um, yeah, we got that in common right there. So um, eventually you get busted. Yeah, eventually I got I got busted. Um, and, uh, and well, just let me uh, let me jump back a little bit. So um, when I did uh, move to Texas, and um, one of the persons that I was that turned me on to my early uh, crystal met or drug use, you know, speed use was. Uh, my my baby's mama, so to speak. Mm. So we, um, you know, we partied pretty hard together, and um, we end up getting pregnant. And that, like, that's just like, oh my god, I, I was not ready for that. You know, I always knew that my lifestyle was detrimental to healthy relationships, and I was certainly not ready uh, to become a father. Like, yeah. I just knew that I. And you were how old at this point? I was twenty eight. Okay. So I, I just knew that that was going to be a nightmare, and I went and got you know I went into depression and just uh, it was a real um, real hard time for me, and um, so had had the kid and you know tried to make things work with with my son's mom, but you know again I just uh, but I you were on, you were doing coke so <laughs> well no by then it, by oh. then it was yeah by then it was uh, crystal meth and, oh, and G yeah. GHB Are you were doing something yeah and uh yeah that doesn't and you know nobody's surprised that that didn't work out right so yeah yeah so you're 28 and um have you, you haven't done any time yet except for the little you know stints yeah just little minor stuff here and there yeah so uh, when how did you finally end up doing time did you do time or did you just get busted and then have probation or something no so uh i uh couple things that happened leading up to me actually getting time i was uh, taking weed from dallas to detroit uh in in a rental car and i got uh got busted in memphis with with a whole bunch of weed and so i, I where were you uh, carrying was, the weed at in the trunk of the car hmm. in they, a rental car <laughs> they had a right they had a uh they were they, they had probable cause to search that well i don't I don't think they did have prob probable cause. They actually, when they the uh, the uh, narcotics unit is the car that pulled me over with the canine in it. So he, you know, came straight out and said, you know, we, uh, I'm, still, you know, so and so with the Shelby County Narcotics Division. Um, we get a lot of drugs coming through this, uh, you know, in, um, interstate, and. Um, Oh, so no. they, they have sort of sort of a program that they do, and they they that's how they uh, don't need probable cause. Yeah, I mean, they just b b basically put some un unmarked cars on the side of the road and look for you know Texas tags going north or something like that, so to speak. Right. Uh, kind of what they said, and so. But you didn't really, um, you didn't have a way of beating that. There was they had you. Yeah, I mean, they pretty much. Uh, yeah, there was no way out of that. Yeah. Um, you know, the dog was right there. They said, well, we're just going to run the puppy dog around the car. And, uh, yep. you know, so. Done, been there, done that. Now, have you, um, at this point, this is this the bus that gets you time, or is this kind of leading up to it? That was the first, um, that was the first drug felony. Um, and I only got, I got like got 30 days, a yeah. $5,000 fine, and um, don't come back through. Memphis, <laughs> yeah. yeah, here. So, 
Um, and you're, yeah, like, that was, that, you're like, that wasn't shit, man. No, nah, that wasn't shit. That, I was that, like, that damn, did, I, that didn't even bother you that much. I'd do that again for, yeah. you know, the fine. For was the lifestyle. Good money. Yeah. That's right. That's right. And, um, so um, in, in May of 2005 is when I, um, I went to drop some stuff off at, at one of my um, customers. I knocked on the door and the DEA and local task force uh, actually opened the door, mm. pulled me in, you know, searched me, and I uh, had um, multiple life sentence of uh of drugs if they add it all up yeah yep yep and so um you know they asked me to cooperate of course i said yeah they let me go and then i just was basically working both sides of the of the deal you Mm. know um never really giving them any real real information real information just basically bullshitting them and uh you know a few weeks later i got I got pulled over again just by the the local police. It had nothing to do with the the DEA or the task force, but and I said, "Yeah, I'm I'm working for the you know uh, DEA." And so they, he's I gave him the number for the agent. But he asked him first. He asked me for my ID. I gave him my Six Flags ID. <laughs> he's like, "Yeah, that's not going to work." Um, but um, so I gave him the number to the agent, my handler, and he said, I, "Arrest him. He's not. He's not." doing anything for us so um got arrested and went to the uh tarrant county jail my bond was i don't know 150,000, something like that way more than than what i had so um you know i just started uh trying to figure out how to get out of that you know that's all i wanted to do was get out of that mm-hmm. so uh, we're going to come back to this in just a second we're going to talk a little bit about cpa dudes CPA dudes, where accounting is never boring. Their price is not based on time. Instead, customers decide what to pay them. They don't charge you for sending invoices, phone calls, emails, texts, or meetings. They just get the damn job done. Find them at cpadudes.com slash startup radio. Tell them Dave and Lad sent you, and we'll send you a very special surprise. Seriously, we will. Today's episode of the Felony Inc. podcast is brought to you by Publicize, a deconstructed PR subscription service which generates effective visibility for your business. Publicize handles all communications with the media and any content required to do this, such as press releases, editorial pitches, etc. And they offer a wide range of PR products and abilities out of which you can construct the PR package right for the future of your business. Also, listeners, please leave Felony Inc. podcast a review on iTunes, and we might even read it on the air. So let's get back to uh, our, our guest. I am enjoying this. Um, our guest is Kevin Rainey of, of uh, Corp Car. And uh, so we're getting back to kind of leading up to when you do your time, your real time. And you, yeah, so <laughs> yeah, now you're just trying to get out of another beat. Yeah, I mean, you know, I got, I've got all my stuff out there. I've got all, you know, my business running. I've got my storage units. I've got all my stuff. Like I'm just trying to get out and, you know, salvage, uh, salvage my things before you know everybody starts stealing my shit, which yeah. is ineb- inevitable. I and uh, you know, you got a ton of friends um, that will help you out when you're with the you quotation know, marks around friends. That's right. Exactly. They're always there to help you out when uh, when you got a pocket full of cash and dope. But uh, when you need some help, you know, pretty much that that's they're gone. <laughs> they're like, yeah, I'll, I'll help you. I'll, I'll help you get your bond money. Like, just give me the the code to the storage unit. I'll go get your stuff for you. Like, yeah, that that never works out well. Um, you know. So um, my bond was much higher than than what I could pay, and. Um, you know, I think for the first, you know, I'd probably been up for for five years straight. I mean, you know, not literally, but for the mean. most for the most part, you know, tweaking, t- falling asleep in your car for a couple hours, or yeah. you know, on somebody's couch for a couple hours. You never really pulling the covers back on. You on don't really bed. want to sleep. You might miss something. That, that, exactly, yeah. you might miss something, and um, you know, a lot of times when you did fall asleep, shit would end up missing. You know, somebody's taking yeah. your shit, or you're, you're losing your shit, or whatever. But um, so I, you know, the first thirty days, um, at least, I, you know, I just slept the whole time. I mean, it was just like 
I didn't really care about anything else except for eating and sleeping. So um, that's pretty much what I did. But um, okay, so you know, now um, what, let's kind of uh, push it forward as, as as well as we can to what really got you in trouble, or what led you to actually doing it. Because I don't even know how much time you did. Um, did all this stuff kind of add up eventually, or did you really get a uh, a slam or you know how did you eventually get in, get uh, convicted yeah so so basically um what they said um there there's no no plea bargain in your case since you uh, flipped on the the um da um they're they're recommending a 20-year period that's it there's no plea Fed bargain. Tw- yeah the 20 no it wasn't fat it oh. was state but it was um the, you know, the DEA and the uh, local uh, narcotics task force were involved in this big, it was very controversial um, operation that they were doing. But uh, basically my court appointed lawyer said, you know, there's no plea bargain in your case since you fuck these guys over. And uh, so it was 20 or trial. And I was like, well, fuck, damn, I'm not, um, let's go to trial. You got to fight that, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you got you can't, you can't take 20. You got to make them give it to well, you. Well, what was but, the uh, worst that could happen to you? 20 years? So, uh, with 20 words was the worst and the best that could happen, uh, without, a, without going to trial. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. And that's right. And the, the district attorney involved in this whole situation was part of their little, um, good old boy network. And, um, mm-hmm. Yeah, the 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 lawyer that I actually hired, so my my parents paid like fifteen grand for for a lawyer who happened to be part of the good old boy network as well, mm-hmm. and uh, he basically didn't do anything, um, zero. Oh, God, he, I know all about that. He didn't even like send me the the motion of discovery. Like, you know, I got out on bond for a little bit uh, again because my parents bonded me out. Um, but, you couldn't uh, afford an attorney. You, there was no way you were going to put resources toward an attorney, huh? Right. Well, my parents did. So they got they got a lawyer for, you know, it cost 15 grand for the for the lawyer. And then they bonded me out for like another 15 grand. So my parents spent like thirty thousand dollars to get me out on bond and get this lawyer who didn't do shit for me. Basically, um, you know, it was by the time, we, you know, that it was time for uh, to sign. It was it's still 20. Oh, and, I see. Um, so this is this is a, an attorney you're paying. This isn't even a public defender. Yeah, so right. So you're paying this guy to fuck you. Yeah, basically paying him to fuck me, and he's part of the... He's part, part of the, of the net, Yeah, he's part of the district attorney. He's part of the, you know, all of that. There's a, there was a huge controversy about Justice this. gang. Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, um, basically he just served me up on a platter. And uh, I, I thought, you know, before I go do this 20... I was staying at my parents' house in, in Nacogdoches while I was out on bond. And I thought to myself, before I go to do this 20 years i should probably go get high and and get laid like you know because shit it's going to be it's going to be some time away so i actually actually had one of my friends uh pick me up at the local walmart down in nacogdoches and bring me back to dallas and uh got a hotel room for the weekend and was was partying my ass off and uh one of my one of my uh using buddies said hey you can't you don't sign for 20 you got to make them give that to you yeah. you know fuck that and so i was actually went in the monday morning to to sign for my 20 and I've been high you know up for three or four days and uh just went in there and the judge said so are you you're ready to sign uh you know i said no i'm i'm not gonna do that you know that you could you could feel the air leave the, the courtroom and mm. My lawyer's like, yeah, you know, my client read a, a law book and now he's an attorney taking oh, his own, you know, bag. yeah, yeah I know he just, my own lawyer like turned yeah. on me in front of the whole court. And so, um, you know, basically and you didn't I'm get your money to, back either, did you? No, didn't get my money back. Um, just, you know, trying to get the motion of discovery, trying to get all of the, you know, get all of the facts so I could, you know, Hey, this guy's screwing me, you know, mm-hmm. um, basically the judge said, Hey, um, you know, be back here in forty-eight hours with the with the new new attorney or whatever. Yeah. So, did you uh, did you eventually um, appeal based on that fucked up uh, you know representation? Well, yeah. So what, I got a I got another lawyer actually um, that I paid for who wasn't. He actually uh, it's really weird. He through this little partying escapade that I had that weekend through one of my stripper friends. Uh, she turned me on to this lawyer who. Um, 
came to my hotel room and said that uh, he felt like he's been sent there by God and he felt like he was um, obligated to to help me through this situation, which I was just, you know, freaking out. I'm like, no way. And he said, I'll do it. Uh, you don't have to pay me anything. You just pay me when you get the money. And, um, yeah, he, wow. he was amazing. Uh, when I actually put him on as uh, attorney up on record, the whole scenario changed. The, the court uh, the court changed, the district attorney changed, and the charges went from uh, 20 down to 10 uh, within just a matter of, of a few days. So Now, did you end up doing, okay, so when did it up happen? Uh, what was your final um, sentence? Yeah, so I got a five. I got a five-year sentence, and um, when that happened, I had already been in the in the county for, you know, thirteen months. So basically, I was eligible for parole when I signed the uh, signed the deal. And, so, you, so how much time did you actually do? A couple years or a year? And yeah, a half? I did like two, I did like two years. Two yeah. Years. Okay. Well, that's you know, this is a great story and how things work. You know, it's um, this justice is a is a horror and. Um, there, there's just so many things that can happen and, you know, the world is that way, but eventually things start turning around and that's the good thing. That's what this, this show is about. It's about, about how we eventually overcome. And so what, um, I want to hear about that now. What, what was, what was it like doing time? Yeah. So, uh, to be quite honest with you, um, it was, my time was real easy, super easy. I had a single cell and an air conditioned, uh, uh, you know, at 100 North Lamar down in downtown Fort Worth. I did 13 months there eating, uh, you know, um, honey buns and, you know, cakes and pies and candy bars. And did you shit get like fat that. as hell and, uh, or what? I got fat as hell. Yeah. 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 Super lie. fat. Um, but, uh, yeah, when I got, actually, when I got out of, finally got out of prison, I was uh, 240 pounds. I'm How tall five. are you? Five, five? What's that? How tall are you? What's it? Uh, five, about five, five ten, five, oh, five ten. So yeah. I was. Uh, so you didn't was, work out or nothing while you were in there, huh? No, nah, I didn't do any of that shit. Wow. No, and uh, you know, so anyway, I got the thirteen months. I went down to basically do a turnaround. I went through uh, the you know intake uh, and you know the gurney unit, and then I was uh, I got a, an FI six, which is basically um, you know in uh, in prison rehab, so to speak. And so I was, uh, I was shipped off to the Hamilton unit, um, where the, uh, um, the prison entrepreneurship program or in its infancy was, was there at the Hamilton unit. So, I mean, I, I, uh, of course I wasn't looking for any of that. I was just trying to, uh, get connections to get, become a better drug dealer. So really? I could have, yeah, have because after all was said and done, I mean, you would have been scared to death if you did like 20 years, but you're like doing two. So you're like, well, okay, I, I can do this and get out and be a better drug dealer. That's right. I mean, I, I didn't, um, I didn't have to get into the, to the prison mentality where, you know, where it was going to become, prison was going to be my life i knew i was doing a turnaround so um you know I, I was the exact same person i was when i went in just um you know real fat and uh, a little bit of clarity and so i thought you know i can i'm going to meet some some people and i'll have good connections when i get out so that was my right that was on. my thought no, I, totally, was my I totally went through that several times before i figured life out um, so you got into the PEP program, but you didn't really expect this to happen. And, um, so what happened when you did that? Yeah. So, um, so, uh, PEP, like I said, was offered at the Hamilton unit. I didn't know anything about it. All I knew is this really hot lady was teaching it. People from the free world were coming in, you know, we get, you know, they brought in free world food and cookies and stuff. So I just was kind of like, I was, you know, I was going to do you that. You're all about a, food, anyway. So yeah, take advantage of the free sandwiches yeah. and the hot lady t teaching the class. But um, you know, early on in that, I uh, I was like, whoa, because they, you know, they say, hey, um, you know, we believe in you. We want you to believe in yourself, and we want to basically turn your street hustle into a legitimate hustle because you know you guys work hard out there in the streets. You do a lot of stuff, and it's very risky. Um, you know, you could you could lose your life over this and, you know, your family, everything. And, um, you know, I, I, that was very, uh, that was very intriguing to me. I thought, mm -hmm. wow, this turned my street hustle in, into a legitimate business. So, so that actually, um, that message got through to you. 
It, yeah, yeah, that was it. it. You know, so I had the the belief window was mm -hmm. um, sell drugs. Franklin reality model. Right? Sell drugs, make money, uh, support your family. That was my belief window, but mm -hmm. it was totally skewed because the reality of it was sell drugs, make money, don't support your family, go to jail, right? And mm -hmm. and so I had to change that that simple uh, um, belief window yeah. that you know. Get a get a get a job, support your family, and be a good person. Right. So, so, so Kevin, was was that the first time in your life when somebody honestly looked you in the eye and said, "You know what, Kevin? I believe in you." Yeah, it did, was. Did they say they believe in you? Did they did they say that, or did they kind of like, "Well, well I believe that you can do this," if no. if you do this. So, the, so the founder of of the prison entrepreneurship program. Uh, Catherine Rohr um, was the first person other than my mom that literally looked me in the eyes and said, I believe in you and, you know, all of these people that support this this program believe in you as well. And they saw it in you even though you didn't quite see it yet. Uh, yeah, as a matter of fact, I didn't quite see it in myself uh, um, and I was still uh, compromising. I actually got kicked out of the first the class that I was in, it was the fifth class of the prison entrepreneurship program. I got kicked out for cheating and, uh, it, it was devastating, but I still didn't believe in myself. Um, and, uh, yeah, so I got kicked out of that one. Um, you know, several months later they were starting class six and I asked Catherine, Hey, can I, could I sign up for this? She goes, um, well, yeah, you could sign up for it, but it's highly unlikely that, that you'll get back in. And I said, well, hi, what's the percentage chance of that? You know, highly unlikely. That means there's hope. Right. And she said, yeah, you, you could. So, so I did. And from at that point forward, I really started applying myself and got into class six. So, um, I actually, I, that was, that was a very pivotal moment, um, in my life because I realized that I didn't have a problem with being smart or stupid or whatever. It was, I had an application problem. I didn't mm -hmm. apply myself. And uh, I proved to myself and to everybody else uh, that if I applied myself, I could, I could do this. So you started learning the power of your mind and how you could take the power and make things different. Um, and you did. You, when did you? When did it occur to you that uh, it was a, it was on you and not about your parents and not about the system? And well, you know, did that ever come to your? Did that ever come to the top of your mind? Yeah, I mean, you know, 38 years uh, until I went to prison, it was everybody else's fault. And, you know, sitting in prison was the first time in my life um, that I haven't had any drugs or alcohol or chemicals in my body. Um, you know, I was able to get some clarity and realize, I mean, what the fuck am I doing here? You know, how did I get here? And, you know, what is it? And it was not taking ownership, not being responsible for, for my life and my actions. Um, so yeah, I mean, I thought about that a lot and, um, you know, I stopped, I stopped blaming. It's such a great thing to discover. It's an amazing it, it, thing it, to discover. It, it really is because, uh, as long as you can blame other people for your problems and your situation, um, you'll always have, uh, uh, someone in charge of, of your life. You so, know? yeah. Um, so I, t and yeah, you're giving them the power and if you, um, so let me ask you, PEP, do, do they teach you, is that part of the curriculum, that kind of mind-changing uh, stuff? Uh, you know, part of the, so, so the PEP program is basically a business plan competition um, is disguised for a, basically a, a, a transformation. Mm -hmm. um, and part of, you know, transforming is, is um you know, taking ownership for, for your life and, and everything that happens in it. And it's Absolutely. nobody else's fault for for um, your shortcomings. You and know, they you gotta, teach you that stuff. They, that's they, right. They bring that to your attention. Um, go ahead, Len. You know, Kevin, um, how important was it, what, you know, was it for you when you got in that program and you seen other inmates in that program changing their life around? How important was that for you to see that happening and, and you know, to propel you into doing the change? Yeah, so that was that was very important. Um, and, and that so when I was in the um, 
in the prison entrepreneurship classes, they would bring in inmate, uh, former inmates that had completed the class and they were actually starting their own businesses. Um, and they were being successful despite their, their past and their, their criminal history and, you know, everything. Um, so that, that really, um, it really showed me that, you know, none of that matters. Like your past doesn't matter. You just have to work a little bit harder. Um, you know, yeah. But you can put the Well, the your past can even be turned into a asset that, uh, you know, that works for uh, giving you a perception, uh, you know, a perspective that other people may not see. Uh, so, yeah, we can we can always take advantage of whatever we have in our past. Now, uh, I have to take a break real quick and we'll be right back. Support for today's episode comes from our friends at Ruby Receptionists. At Ruby, they've mastered the art of turning rings into relationships. Their team of remote receptionists answer all of your calls live as if they're right there in your office. And with Ruby's mobile app, you easily control just how they screen, transfer, and take your messages. Start setting your business apart today. Visit callruby.com slash startupradio to sign up, or better yet, call them at 833-861-8100 and use promo code STARTUPRUBY. Tell them Dave and Lads you get a $150 credit. Sweet. So, Dave, you know what? I took advantage of Ruby. And, yeah, and I got this ring, and I was wondering, uh, you know, I've loved you for a long time, and I was wondering if you'd marry me. I'd, I, you know, I'd marry you to my cat. Okay. That's what I would do. She's I'd, better She's better looking than you she's are a anyway. a lot sweeter than me. That's what you mean. Trust me. So, um, I don't know why he just said that, but uh, I lost all... Um, <laughs> I lost all memory of where we were at. So, okay, we, we basically want to get to where what you were doing in there uh, with PEP led you to doing what you're doing today. Yeah, so, um, you know, um, they they believed in me, and, and I started to believe in myself. And, uh, you know, they they teach you a lot of stuff uh, just about, you know, changing your, your attitudes and, and your mindset and, and, you know, breaking that uh, that street mentality off you. You know, keep the hustle, but, but you know, get rid of the, the street hustle and, you know, do something legitimate. And so, um, you know, we work on business plans and, you know, we do a lot of presentations, excuse me, and... Um, you know, a lot of public speaking and all those things that, that you're very uncomfortable with. But, you know, um, so I and plus they have a, a reentry plan for you. They have these uh, transition houses and, um, you know, all that was great. And I was getting out. Actually, um, I even said to the I was getting out before the my graduation was coming up. And I even asked, like, hey, can I stay in prison a, a few more weeks until, hey, until I went through that, too. Yeah, I understand yeah. that. Yeah, so I wanted to be part of it so so much that I didn't want to get out early. But they, you know, they said, "Well, you can get out early and come back for the for the graduation or whatever." So I was actually um, uh, went to their uh, reentry house um, in Houston, where I was going to, you know, start my prison entrepreneurship uh, plan and and uh, you know uh, release. And uh, within 24 hours, um, uh, that whole plan changed. Uh, actually, they said. Um, that I had some some people from my past that were threatening my life, and that the life of the lives of the people in this uh, in the mission were at jeopardy, and the PEP um, guys were in jeopardy. And so, um, for the safety of everybody, uh, we're buying you a one-way bus ticket to anywhere in Texas that you want to go. Uh, so, with within 24 hours of my release, my whole uh, my whole plan changed. Wow. Um, and I was devastated. I, I had no, I didn't have I any totally other plan. Did it. Yeah. yeah. There was no plan B. And, um, you know, what do you do at 40 years old? I completely broke 240 pounds and nowhere to go, nowhere to turn. It's like, you know, I called my mom and, um, you know, got on the next Greyhound to, to Nacogdoches, Texas. Nothing, um, no shame in that. You yeah. Know, if well, your mom will take you. That's right. So, you know, at 40 years old, I was in my mom's spare bedroom, uh, but I knew that uh, whether I was in Houston, uh, Hawaii, or Hong Kong, like, yeah, my plan is still going to be my plan. It's just going to be on a different map. But, you know, I, I'm not going to let that, uh, you know, deter me from, from, you know, being a better person. Did you have to get a job uh, at first? Or, I mean, how did this work? 
Oh yeah, yeah. So uh, I'm I'm not sure that you're familiar with Nacogdoches. Most people aren't, but it's just a little small college town with about a population of, you know, fifteen thousand people, Um, and then you know. So here I am trying to find a job riding around on a Schwinn, uh, you know, fat old guy. And um, the first 15 places that I applied didn't uh, didn't do anything or didn't, you know, accept me. And then I went to the uh, Pilgrim's Pride uh, processing plant uh, and that was they gave me a job. And um, despite my history, uh, I was working on the, uh, you know, the, the grind them up uh, chicken parts <laughs> department and so i got a you know 825 an hour 12 hours a day as much overtime as you wanted and so i would uh, love I thought, to ask you uh, your insights into that but uh we'll move on from there so that you were working you're working pretty hard or just kind of slacking or how, how are things going no i actually i actually um this is the first job that i never stole from it was the first job that i was on time for for every shift and that was the first job that i you know that that i wasn't uh um sketchy in you know i i you know showed up on time and i worked overtime and yeah. you know my goal my goal was to get back to dallas where i have uh had a, have a son and i you know i just wanted to get closer closer Another- to my kid it's another great lesson for folks. Yet, you, you know, wherever, whatever you do, do it hard, and it will pay off because it's a step on the way to somewhere. So, yeah, you, you in your case, um, now, how did you finally get your business started? Um, yeah, so, so you know, another thing that Catherine taught me was that um, um, you got to take what you can get until you can get what you want and so put your best foot forward every day and um um those those things will happen over time uh, and so um i end up getting back to dallas um i worked in you know various uh jobs uh, in the valet um, business worked my way up into uh, valet management at several uh, you know hotels in downtown dallas and um so my kid was about to start his uh, senior year in high school and he wanted to um you know he announced hey i'm going to college and i said hey you know i'll help out um if i can so on the weekends i i moonlighted as a chauffeur to earn extra money you know so i could help put put my son through college and um you know it didn't take long i quickly realized that uh opportunity yeah, this is opportunity right here. Usually, uh, in the past, opportunity knocks. I don't even open the fucking door. Really um, and, and but you know now, you know these days, opportunity knocks. I invite them in for you know uh, pizza and beer or whatever. Yeah, right. But uh, so you know this is an opportunity, and and um, uh, the dude actually fired me and the guy i was working for was a friend of mine he fired me from from the chauffeuring and uh that was on a friday by monday i was up at the uh, chevrolet dealership trading in my my uh, camry for a, a chevy suburban and uh yeah so basically i was the an uber driver with with no clients but uh i knew that you know i didn't want to be an uber driver i, I wanted to have your own business that as a as a springboard or a catalyst to uh, to start my own business <clears throat> okay, uh, well, which I did. We're really short on time, uh, which is my fault. But uh, if we, I want to cover like, um, you know, what was your first challenge? What were what were your big challenges on your way, on the, in this business, and what struggles and what over? How did you overcome them? Yeah. So, um, you know, the first year was real easy. Not much of a challenge. Uh, it was just me driving. You know, doing trips for Uber and stuff like that. Uh, um, but as I grew, uh, I added more employees and vehicles and, you know, it increased my revenue considerably, but, uh, I was not prepared on the back end, uh, you know, and as a result, some key components were mismanaged and, um, you know, uh, I'm a man of many hats, but a lot of them, a lot of them didn't fit my head. And so I really, really struggled with the back end stuff, trying to do it all on my own. Absolutely. Um, That's reality. That, yeah. Yeah. That. That, uh, that hurt me, um, you know. It's okay when it's a one-man operation, but when you have multiple, um, um, get, you know, got, uh, chauffeurs and, and vehicles, you know, but, that stuff. But you did get through it. You did get through it, though, right? Yeah, yeah, I did get through it. Um, but, it, you know, it d- definitely um, it took some 
took some blows um, and some financial struggles, but now I'm uh, now things are well. I've got people helping me that are smarter in those areas. So. Yeah, it's, and that's and that's a great lesson is you know get the right people um, on the bus or whatever. You rather than try to think, you know, your ego has to say that you know, hey, I I don't want anybody to know I don't know this or yeah, something. Yeah. Yeah, here's the thing, Dave. If you're the smartest person on your team, then that then you've got a problem. Yeah, <laughs> you know. Yeah, because so, there's no uh, one person that knows it all. And um, I mean, in my case, I didn't know Jack, but uh, I did know some principles that really paid off for me. And I, you do too. It's very clear to me that you do as well. Um, wow, we're gonna be we're really short. I want you to tell me one piece of advice that you could pass on to other entrepreneurs, especially those incarcerated and ex-felons. Yeah, so um, this this would be my, uh, I guess my uh, one piece of advice is that, uh, you know, I was able to turn my, my message, I mean, my, I was able to turn my mess into my message. Um, and that message is, you know, don't ever give up because it's never too late to turn things around, to turn your life around. Uh, you're not your past, so don't let it define you um, because it will surely guide your future. You know, uh, Kevin, we could have gone on for quite a while. You have a great story. You tell it well. You know what you're talking about. I really appreciate having you on, on our show. Well, I really appreciate uh, you guys having me. I'm really honored to... Uh, Great. Honored to be part of it, and you know, thank you guys so much for the, for the platform. Thanks. Um, I'd like to t speak to you again sometime. Now, um, please share all your website information, Facebook information, whatever you, your marketing stuff that you want to share. Yeah. So, so my website is um, the company is Corpcar. Um, the website is www.corpcar.us. Um, the uh, we have a Facebook page www.facebook.com/corpcar, uh, www uh, Twitter at Corpcar Dallas, and um, that's about it. So you could you could go into go in and uh, sign up on the account at Corpcar, and we have an app you could download, you could schedule trips, you know, do all that sort of thing. Basically, just like Uber, but you get professionals. Well, great job. Uh, thank you very much uh, to our guest today, uh, Kevin Rainey of Corp Car in Texas. Uh, very inspiring guest. And thanks for joining us this week on Felony Inc. Podcast. Join us every Friday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time at StartupRadioNetwork.com and catch previous episodes on any podcast app. If you know what's good for you, you'll shut up and listen. If you don't, I can't promise that we won't show up at your place late at night and make you listen. Breaking and entering, <laughs> breaking and entering lad's ass. This will be full on breaking and listening. That's right. And while you were gone, I was able to say that about you. You were. And, and coming up after the break is Latino Founder Hour with your hosts Edgar Navas and Claudia Cardenas. Their podcast is usually in Spanish, so I'm going to make the best of this. Esta escuchanda. La Rey de Radio de Incio. You're listening to the Startup Radio Network. Listen, learn, launch. 10% of our gross revenue goes directly to women entrepreneurs in developing countries around the world through Kiva's microfinance program.